0: It was the winter of 1944. The German army was in a desperate situation at this time during World War II and ultimately launched what became known as the Battle of the Bulge. A key part of their strategy was to disrupt and misdirect reinforcements that the allies would be sending into the battle. They called it Operation Grief, and they snuck in German spies dressed as U.S. military police who infiltrated the American line where they then set up roadblocks and directed military units in the wrong direction. The plot was quickly discovered, and 18 of the infiltrators were caught, tried, and executed. But even though the German plan fell apart quickly, the greatest damage came afterwards. For a while, American soldiers did not know who to trust or in which direction to go. An infiltrator can cause great damage because he or she can create doubt among those who are striving to do good. Today we'll focus our attention on the book of Jude. In this letter from Jude, we find that the church has an infiltrator problem. The church has enemies in its midst who have snuck in and are there to cause confusion on who to believe and what to believe. Their goal is to lead Christians in the wrong direction. Jude's letter was written to help the church to know what to do when it has infiltrators in its midst who are causing confusion and are leading people in the wrong direction, leading people away from the faith, the gospel that was taught to the church and received by the church. The lessons for Jude's recipients are also for us. Jude expresses his desire to write of the common salvation they shared. But due to the current circumstances, he needs to write on a different subject of of one of greater importance. He writes, beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Jude abandons his intended letter because he felt compelled by the presence of false teachers among those he loved to write a letter on a subject of greater importance and appeal to contend for the faith. Let's begin in Jude, verses 1 and 2. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. There are no locations mentioned in the letter to give us insight to know for sure to whom Jude wrote. We know this letter was written to Christians who needed the warnings that are given in this letter. The writer identifies himself as Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. There were several men in the New Testament named Jude or Judas, a variation of the name Jude. And there were at least two men named Jude who had a brother Named James. One possible author could be Jude the Apostle, not Judas Iscariot who betrayed Jesus, but the Apostle Jude who goes by the name Thaddeus or Lebius. Another possible author of this letter is Jude brother to James, and this would make him one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. This would make Jude another half-brother of Jesus. Matthew chapter 13 verse 55 names Jesus' earthly brothers as James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, which is another form of the name Jude. We don't know for sure which Jude wrote this, but the key for us to remember is that he identifies himself as Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, and that this writing is ultimately from the Holy Spirit. Those addressed in the letter, other than him being identified as those who are sanctified and called, are not otherwise identified. He's writing to Christians. The date of his writing would be around 67. AD. Let's continue with Jude verses 3 and 4. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turned the grace of our God into licentiousness, and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Ungodly people had infiltrated the church and brought teachings that led to the sin of immorality, something totally contrary to the teachings of Jesus and his apostles. The result of this kind of distorted teaching was to grossly disrespect the fact that Jesus sacrificed his body in death to obtain forgiveness for his followers for the very sins that these false teachers were saying are not sins at all. These certain people, they slipped in. Unnoticed. They came in with their ulterior motives. These certain ones are not in the assembly to grow in Christian faith and maturity, but to lead people away from Christ and to draw followers after themselves. Jude will reveal who they are by what they teach and how they live. The solution to dealing with the infiltrators who snuck in and distort the teaching of Christ is to earnestly contend for the faith. The main lesson of the book of Jude is that God calls for Christians to contend earnestly for the faith, the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. He calls for us to us to stand up boldly and declare the scriptures and to stand firm against false teachers who would lead us away from the truth. We must stand firmly against those who would turn the grace of God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. In 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 10, the Apostle Paul writes about a people who are deceived by those who oppose Jesus. He writes, they perish because they refuse to love the truth, And so be saved. It's critical that we contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints because it is our salvation. It is the truth that we should love and we should live by. Salvation is something that Christians share. God draws all the saved into the same family when we obey the gospel. That is, when we, we become brothers and sisters in Christ, we share the same hope, the same mercy, the same grace, the same peace. God calls us back to Himself as one body in Christ, where there is oneness unlike anything else this world has to offer. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29, the Apostle Paul writes this: "For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus." For as many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Jude verse 3 teaches us that the faith has once for all been delivered to us. No new revelation outside the Bible should be expected by us. God has given us all that we need and preserved this message for us in the scriptures. No new messiahs will come. There are no new gospels that are going to come before judgment. The blood of Jesus was shed on the cross to save us from our sins and deliver us and redeem us for God. Jesus' blood is the only blood that we need to be made clean and holy before God. In fact, nothing else will do. There's no better book than the Bible to give us direction and instruct us in the way of eternal life. There's no way to improve on it. God's final word cannot be changed. It's been given to change you and me. We can't improve on the faith, the gospel by which we are saved and by which we live The common, shared, once-for-all delivered faith must be contended for. We contend for much lesser things, don't we? Those words, earnestly contend, come from the Greek word, which has the root from which we get our word agony. What would you agonize for? God is telling us here to agonize for the faith. The word of God, the faith of Jesus Christ, have come under more and more attack while there are fewer and fewer who are willing to stand up and defend it. Defenders of the faith are needed today. Who will arise and answer the call of Jude, verse 3? Today, we first need to understand and embrace the faith, live by it, and then contend for it. Jude genuinely cares about the church and speaks graciously to those who are faithful in Christ In doing so, he'll also say some strong words of condemnation towards false teachers who are destructive to the faith. His defense is full of fire and exhortation. Sometimes infiltrators slip into churches and make it hard for Christians to know who to trust or what to believe. The letter of Judas focused on warning Christians that they're going to be infiltrators in the church. He calls them deceivers, godless men, evil people. What drives these individuals is their bias. And what is their bias? Jude tells us they pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. These folks have an agenda that drives them. They want to be in control. They're not above changing the meaning of scriptures or omitting passages of scripture whenever it suits them. They're driven by sensuality. Sensuality is the opposite of contentment. It is unbridled lust, excess, licentiousness, lasciviousness, wantonness, outrageousness, shamelessness, insolence, sensuality is the attitude found in Potiphar's wife as she tried to seduce Joseph. It's okay because my husband's not home. And nobody will know. Sensuality is the attitude found on the men of Sodom as they tried to break down Lot's doors to rape the angels he had as guests in his house. It's okay because it's our custom. And who are you to judge us? Sensuality is found on the attitude of the men and women described by Paul in Romans chapter 1 who exchanged natural relations for degrading passions and unnatural relations. It's okay because we are the wise and educated ones here and we know best. The apostle Peter, who was a contemporary of Jude, writes about this same destructive teaching. In 2 Peter chapter 2, in verses 1 through 3, Peter writes this, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, And because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. False teachers pervert the grace of God. They deny Jesus is our Lord and Master. They don't want God teaching them how to live. They don't want to live by the Scriptures. They want to live in immoral lifestyles, and they want the world and the church to be okay with that. These false teachers want to reinterpret Scripture to make the case that these sins are not really sins at all and that we should accept those who indulge in them and that we should indulge in them too. Let's continue in verses 5 through 7. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe, and angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode. He has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Jude wants to make sure his readers know exactly where these infiltrators' false teaching will lead us. In fact, his readers already know this. They already know the history of God's past judgment. He writes this as a reminder to them so they will apply the lessons learned from God's past judgment. Jude gives examples of what happened to various people who disbelieved or disobeyed. He begins with the Israelites, God's people who were freed from Egyptian slavery in a miraculous way. However, when they disbelieved and rebelled, God let them die In the desert. From that generation, only Joshua and Caleb made it to the promised land. Next, he tells us about angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode because they chose to disobey God. He has kept them in eternal bonds under darkness for judgment on the great day. And then he uses Sodom and Gomorrah as an example of ungodly people, they had abandoned the natural order of things. Because of their disobedience concerning God's law, concerning sexual conduct and general wicked behavior, they were also destroyed by fire. Jude's readers would readily understand the implication for their present situation. They were to avoid the Sodomites' immoral licentious behavior and in doing so would also avoid the same destruction. Jude includes this so his readers will know if they follow the teachings of the infiltrators, they too will face God's judgment. The church is made up of the saved. The church is made up of those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God, have confessed that faith, repented of their sins, been baptized into Christ, and choose to keep on living a life pleasing to God. Jude makes it very clear that others who once thought they were in good standing with God face great punishment because they did not believe left their proper abode and chose to indulge in gross immorality. That is where these infiltrators will lead you with their teaching. Their path does not lead to peace and harmony but judgment and eternal fire. Let's continue in Jude verse 8. Yet in the same way these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. Jude calls these people dreamers. Dreamers. The name does not simply mark them out as a people who held unrealistic ideas. Dreams were commonly considered a source of divine revelation. Jude contrasts what these dreamers teach with established revelation from God. It's not an agreement with the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints and accepted by the church. These infiltrators use dreams as justification for their licentious behavior, rejection of authority, and revile angelic majesties. These infiltrators will allow no voice, no authority other than their own. Jude verse 9. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct like unreasoning animals. By these things they are destroyed. The dispute between Michael the archangel and the devil is not revealed in the Old Testament scriptures, but Jude tells us that it took place and uses this story to show Michael's obedience to God, that he did not overstep his proper place, but left judgment to God. Jude compares this to the infiltrators who have overstepped their boundaries. They blaspheme what they do not understand. Jude says these infiltrators only have instinctual knowledge as irrational animals. They live by their base instincts. They are morally corrupt. Jude verse 11, woe to them for they have gone the way of Cain and for pay have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Jude compares these infiltrators who have snuck into the church to three well-known godless people from history. The first type of infiltrator Jude describes is the Cain type of infiltrator. Jude verse 11, woe to them for they have walked in the way of Cain. Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's two sons, two brothers whose story is told in the book of Genesis, teaches us how people respond to God's word. Cain and Abel both offer a sacrifice to God. It's the first example of sacrifice to God. It's the first example of worship, and half of the people get it wrong. God looked with favor upon Abel in his offering, but not upon Cain and his offering. Cain has an opportunity to change and align himself up with God's word, but he chooses a different course of action. In Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 3, it reads this way. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Cain's problem was that he was filled with anger about the wrong things. When he couldn't get things his way, he got angry and he killed his brother. John in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 12 tells us about Cain. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Cain offered an unacceptable sacrifice to God. He knew what to do because God has a conversation with him and tells him, Cain, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But Cain wanted to offer in a way that God had not commanded. More than that, when Cain saw that his brother Abel's offering was accepted, he was mad. Abel obeyed God and did what was right. But Cain, who had not obeyed, was angry about this. So angry, in fact, that he killed his brother. A Cain type of infiltrator is someone who thinks he or she can please God, even worshiping in a way that God has not commanded or living a life contrary to God's will when he or she was presented with the Bible's teaching on the matter, instead of conforming to God's will, this person may claim to know better than you and often gets angry at correction. He refuses to grow in knowledge and service to God. He refuses to conform to the gospel. This type of infiltrator is not interested in changing his life because he's focused on changing yours for the worse. An infiltrator who imitates Cain is driven by anger and bitterness and is known for living a life contrary to the Christian life and will get angry rather than accept gentle or sharp correction from those teaching God's word. Now there are others who have a different driving force. The second type of infiltrator Jude describes is the Balaam type of infiltrator. Jude verse 11, They've abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. Balaam was a prophet in the Old Testament who chose to live for the love of money rather than God's will. The setting is when Israel had just left Egypt. and was on its way to the promised land, passing through the land of the Midianites, uh, the Moabites. The Moabites didn't like that, so they tried to hire Balaam to curse Israel. They knew if Balaam would curse the Israelites, they would truly be cursed and easily defeated. But God talked with Balaam about that, even through a talking donkey. And for a while, Balaam listened to God. But eventually, Balaam was overcome by his greed, and he found a way to compromise the morality of many of the Israelites. When all was said and done, God ultimately punished him for his disobedience. Balaam's story is told in part in the book of Numbers. Balaam's error is that he was greedy. He wanted King Balak's reward so much, that he disobeyed God's word. He couldn't curse Israel, so he instructed King Balak on how to get the Israelites to commit sexual immorality and idolatry with the Midianite women. Balaam knew God's will, but he chose riches and honor over God. An infiltrator in the church who imitates Balaam is one who is driven by greed, honor, and power, and will betray Christians for any one of those things. That's the trap of Balaam's sin, loving money and success to the point where those things are more important than the grace of God. These kinds of people are driven by greed. That's the motivation of the Balaam kind of infiltrators. The third type of infiltrator Jude describes is the Korah type of infiltrator. Jude verse 11 tells us these folks are like those who perished in Korah's rebellion. Korah's story is told in the book of Numbers as well. He, along with Datham and Iberium, led a group of 250 Levites in rebellion against Moses' authority. Number 16 and verse 3 reads, They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Because of their act of rebellion against God's established authority, God opened up the ground to swallow up Korah, Datham, and Iberium. Then their 250 followers died as fire came out from the Lord and consumed them. Who was Korah? He was a man who wanted to take control and have his own following. He didn't like the idea of Moses running things. He wanted to be in charge. He staged a rebellion to remove and replace Moses and Aaron as leaders of the nation. God wasn't pleased with this because he sent Moses to lead the people. Number 16 and verse 28 tells us what Moses said. This is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things and that it was not my idea. If these men die a natural death and experience only what usually happens to men, then the Lord has not sent me. But... If the Lord brings about something totally new and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them with everything that belongs to them and they go down alive into the grave, then you will know that these men have treated the Lord with contempt. As soon as he finished saying all this, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth And swallowed them with their households and all Korah's men and all their possessions. They went down alive into the grave with everything they owned. The earth closed over them, and they perished and were gone from the community. What motivated Korah and his followers? They wanted to run things. They wanted to be in charge when things weren't done their way, they became very annoyed and they created this power struggle. That's what the Korah type of infiltrators do. They push to control the church. They struggle for power in the church to run things for their own advantage rather than God's way. They may sow discord or say they're doing it for the good of the church. But what they really want is power. They want to have people following them rather than being faithful servants of Jesus, whose goal it is to keep unity in the church and to keep us focused on God. Jude describes the infiltrators this way in Jude verse 4. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. These false teachers will all be destroyed like their predecessors. Paul warns Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 23 through 26. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know that they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct and the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. The Christians that the infiltrators have led astray often need gentle correction to get them back on track. The infiltrators themselves, those twisting the scriptures intentionally, often need firmer correction The Apostle Paul writes in Titus chapter 1 and verses 9 through 13, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine. Refute those who oppose it, for there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. Even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they may be sound in the faith. The main lesson in the book of Jude is that God calls for Christians to contend earnestly for the faith, the faith that was once for all handed down to the saints. Jude continues in verses 12 and 13. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feast when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved. Forever. Jude rebukes these infiltrators for their sins and points out how worthless these people really are. He says they are hidden reefs that present unseen danger in what seems like the calm water of the life of the church. They're waterless clouds, promising much relief and hope, but delivering absolutely nothing. They only bring false hope. They're fruitless trees that require care and produce nothing and are worth nothing. They're waves that make noise and produce only their shameful deeds as a result. They're wandering stars, not fixed stars that are of some use like in navigation, but wandering stars that will be swallowed by the blackness of hell. Jude delivers a warning about the ones advocating the false teaching and a moral, an unfaithful lifestyle they proudly promote. Jude continues in verses 14 and 15. It was about these men that Enoch and the seventh generation of Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. In these verses, Jude describes the character of these men and warns us not to emulate their actions. Jude quotes the patriarch Enoch and applies his words to the infiltrators in the church. The words of Enoch are not revealed in the Old Testament, but in other writings. Jude confirms the truth of these words and draws an application for his day and ours. He continues with the description of the infiltrators in verse 16. These are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. He describes them as grumblers, looking for faults in others, led by their own lusts. One can spot them by their arrogant words. They flatter people, not as a true compliment, but a way to gain an advantage over others. Their speech reveals their character. Jude, verses 17 through 19. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, and the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit." Jude's purpose has not been merely to inform his readers of the infiltrator's error, but to encourage his readers to take heed and act. The main lesson in the book of Jude is that God calls for Christians to contend earnestly for the faith, the faith that was once for all handed down to the saints. Jude verses 20 through 25. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some, have mercy mixed with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Apostasy is serious business. It's dangerous and it's deadly. God reserves some of the harshest words in Scripture for those who would turn away from him, and especially for those who would lead others in joining them and deserting the faith. False teachers are a blight on an otherwise beautiful family of faith. Contending for the faith is a work that protects Christians from the destructive influences of Satan. It's also a work of teaching the truth to those under the influence of false teachers. Jude finishes his letter with instructions on how to be strengthened and able to rescue those who are being led astray in this condition of spiritual strength. We are to be merciful to those who doubt, snatch others from the fire, and show mercy mixed with fear. In closing, Jude blesses those who receive this letter with a a doxology. Jude verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. This is a reminder of where our power, our cleansing, our hope, and our salvation come from. This is where our joy is found in God's word. When we trust God, and we contend for the faith, we may not win over the infiltrators who are twisting the scriptures, those who attack the faith. But we can win others who have been led astray. When they watch how we conduct ourselves, we stand up for Christ and his will. In conclusion, the main lesson in the book of Jude is that God calls for Christians to contend earnestly for the faith, the faith which was once for all handed down, to the saints, because there are false teachers whose goal it is to deceive people and lead people into sin, because there may be times when infiltrators sneak into the assembly and distort the truth of the Bible. Contending for the faith is the responsibility of each Christian and collectively the local church and universally the body of Christ. Jude rebuked the deceitful workers for threatening the peace and security of the church. Jude condemned those who corrupted the faith and sought to lead Christians astray. Then, then, with tenderness and great encouragement, he commits his readers to the source of all good to our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. When the infiltrators come and try to deceive you, Don't be led astray, but contend earnestly for the faith, the faith that was once for all handed down to the saints.